Book Two, Chapter Thirteen of the Lancashire Witches. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Andy Minter. The Lancashire Witches, A Romance of Pendle Forest, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Book Two, Pendle Forest, Chapter Thirteen, The Two Familiars. After seeing Richard depart on his perilous mission to Malkin Tower, Mistress Nutter retired to her own chamber, and held long and anxious self-communion. The course of her thoughts may be gathered from the terrible revelations made by Mother Demdike to Alison, a prey to the most agonising emotions. It may be questioned if she could have endured greater torment, if her heart had been consumed by living fire as in the punishment assigned to the damned in the fabled halls of Eblis. For the first time remorse assailed her, and she felt compunction for the evil she had committed. The whole of her dark career passed in review before her. The long catalogue of her crimes unfolded itself like a scroll of flame, and at its foot were written in blazing characters the awful words, "'Judgment and Condemnation.' there was no escape, none. Hell, with its unquenchable fires and unimaginable horrors, yawned to receive her, and she felt, with anguish and self-reproach not to be described, how wretched a bargain she had made, and how dearly the brief gratification of her evil passions had been purchased at the cost of an eternity of woe and torture. This change of feeling had been produced by her newly awakened affection for her daughter, long supposed dead, and now restored to her, only to be snatched away again in a manner which added to the sharpness of the loss. She saw herself the sport of a juggling fiend, whose aim was to win over her daughter's soul through her instrumentality, and she resolved, if possible, to defeat his purposes. This, she was aware, would only be accomplished by her own destruction, but even this dread alternative she was prepared to embrace— Alison's sinless nature and devotion to herself had so wrought upon her that, though she had at first resisted the better impulses kindled within her bosom, in the end they completely overmastered her. Was it, she asked herself, too late to repent? Was there no way of breaking her compact? She remembered to have read of a young man who had signed away his own soul, being restored to heaven by the intercession of the great reformer of the church. Martin Luther. But on the other hand, she had heard of many others who, on the slightest manifestation of penitence, had been rent in pieces by the fiend. Still, the idea recurred to her. Might not her daughter, armed with perfect purity and holiness, with a soul free from stain as an unspotted mirror, might not she, who had avouched herself ready to risk all for her, for she had overheard her declaration to Richard, might not she be able to work out her salvation? Would confession of her sins and voluntary submission to earthly justice save her? Alas, no, she was without hope. She had an inexorable master to deal with, who would grant her no grace, except upon conditions she would not assent to. She would have thrown herself on her knees, but they refused to bend. She would have prayed, but the words turned to blasphemies. She would have wept, but the fountains of tears were dry. The witch could never weep. 
Then came despair and frenzy, unlike furies lashed her with whips of scorpions, goading her with the memory of her abominations and idolatries, and her infinite and varied iniquities. They showed her, as in a swiftly fleeting vision, all who had suffered wrong by her, or whom her malice had afflicted in body or estate. They mocked her with a glimpse of the paradise she had forfeited. She saw her daughter in a beatified state, about to enter its golden portals, and would have clung to her robes in the hope of being carried in with her, but she was driven away by an angel with a flaming sword, who cried out, "'Thou hast abjured heaven, and heaven rejects thee. Satan's brand is upon thy brow, and unless it be effaced, thou canst never enter here. Down to Tophet, thou witch!' Then she implored her daughter to touch her brow with the tip of her finger, and as the latter was about to comply, a dark, demoniacal shape suddenly rose, and seizing her by the hair, plunged her down, down millions of miles, till she beheld a world of fire appear beneath her, consisting of a multitude of volcanoes, roaring and raging like furnaces, boiling over with red-hot lava, and casting forth huge burning stones. In each of these beds of fire thousands upon thousands of sufferers were writhing, and their groans and lamentations arose in one frightful incessant wail, too terrible for human hearing. Over this place of torment the demon held her suspended. She shrieked aloud in her agony, and, shaking off the oppression, rejoiced to find the vision had been caused by her own distempered imagination. Meanwhile the storm which had obstructed Richard as he climbed the hill had come on, though Mistress Nutter had not noticed it. But now a loud peal of thunder shook the room, and rousing herself she walked to the window. The sight she beheld increased her alarm. Heavy thunderclouds rested upon the hillside, and seemed ready to discharge their artillery upon the course which she knew must be taken by the young man. The chamber in which she stood, it has been said, was large and gloomy, with a wainscoting of dark oak. On one of the panels was painted a picture of herself in her days of youth, innocence, and beauty, and on another a portrait of her unfortunate husband, who appeared a handsome young man with a stern countenance, attired in a black velvet doublet and cloak of the fashion of Elizabeth's day. Between these paintings stood a carved oak bedstead, with a high tester, and dark, heavy drapery, opposite which was a wide window, occupying almost the whole length of the room, but darkened by thick bars and glass, crowded with armorial bearings, or otherwise deeply dyed. The high mantelpiece and its carvings have been previously described, as well as the bloody hearthstone, where the tragical incident occurred, connected with Alison's early history. As Mistress Nutter returned to the fireplace, a plaintive cry arose from it, and starting, for the sound revised terrible memories within her breast, she beheld the ineffaceable stains upon the flag, traced out by blue phosphoric fire, while above them hovered the shape of a bleeding infant. Horror-stricken she averted her gaze, but it encountered another object, equally appalling, her husband's portrait or rather it would seem a phantom in its place, for the eyes, lighted up by infernal fire, glared at her from beneath the frowning and contracted brows, while the hand significantly pointed to the hearthstone, 
on which the sanguinary stains had now formed themselves, into the fatal word, VENGEANCE. In a few minutes the fiery characters died away, and the portrait resumed its wanted expression. But ere Mistress Nutter had recovered from her terror, the back of the fireplace opened, and a tall, swarthy man stepped out from it. As he appeared, a flash of lightning illumined the chamber, and revealed his fiendish countenance. On seeing him, the lady immediately regained her courage, and addressed him in a haughty and commanding tone. "'Why this intrusion? I did not summon thee, and do not require thee.' "'You are mistaken, madam,' he replied. "'You had never more occasion for me than at this moment, and so far from intruding upon you, I have avoided coming near you, even though enjoined to do so by my lord.' He is perfectly aware of the change which has just taken place in your opinions, and the anxiety you now feel to break the contract you have entered into with him, and which he has scrupulously fulfilled on his part. But he wishes you distinctly to understand that he has no intention of abandoning his claims upon you, but will most assuredly enforce them at the proper time." I need not remind you that your term draws to a close, and ere many months must expire, but means of extending it have been offered you, if you choose to avail yourself of them. I have no such intention, replied Mistress Nutter, in a decided tone. So be it, madam, replied the other, but you will not preserve your daughter, who is in the hands of a tried and faithful servant of my lord, and what you hesitate to do, that servant will perform, and so reap the benefit of the sacrifice. Not so, rejoined Mistress Nutter. I say, yea, retorted the familiar. Thou art my slave. I command thee to bring Alison hither at once. The familiar shook his head. Thou refusest, cried Mistress Nutter menacingly. Knowst thou not I have the means of chastising thee? You have, madam, replied the other, but the moment a thought of penitence crossed your breast, the power you were invested with departed. My lord, however, is willing to give you an hour of grace, when, if you voluntarily renew your oaths to him, he will accept them, and place me at your disposal once more. "'But if you still continue obstinate—' "'He will abandon me,' interrupted Mistress Nutter. "'I knew it. Fool that I was to trust one who from the beginning has been a deceiver.' "'You have a short memory, and but a little gratitude, madam, and seem entirely to forget the important favour conferred upon you last night. At your solicitation the boundaries of your property were changed.' and large slips of land filched from another to be given to you. But if you fail in your duty, you cannot expect this to continue. The boundary marks will be set up in their old places, and the land restored to its rightful owner. "'I expected as much,' observed Mistress Nutter disdainfully. "'Thus all our pains will be thrown away,' pursued the familiar. And though you may make light of the labour, it is no easy task to change the face of a whole country, to turn streams from their course, move bogs, transplant trees, and shift houses, 
all of which has been done, and will now have to be undone because of your inconstancy. I myself have been obliged to act as many parts as a poor player to please you. And now you dismiss me at a moment's notice, as if I had played them indifferently, whereas the most fastidious audience would have been ravished by my performance. This morning I was the reeve of the forest, and as such obliged to assume the shape of a rascally attorney. I felt it a degradation, I assure you. Nor was I better pleased when you compelled me to put on the likeness of old Roger Nowell, for whatever you may think, I am not so entirely destitute of personal vanity as to prefer either of their figures to my own. However, I showed no disinclination to oblige you. You are strangely unreasonable today. Is it my lord's fault if your desire of vengeance expires in its fruition? If, when you have accomplished an object, you no longer care for it? You ask for revenge for power. You have them, and cast them aside like childish baubles. The lord is an arch-deceiver, rejoined Mistress Nutter, and cannot perform his promises. They are empty delusions, profitless, insubstantial as shadows. His power prevails not against anything holy, as I myself have just now experienced. His money turns to withered leaves, his treasures are dust and ashes. Strong only is he in the power of mischief, and even his mischief, like curses, recoils on those who use it. His vengeance is no true vengeance, for it troubles the conscience, and engenders remorse. Whereas the servant of heaven heaps coals of fire on the head of his adversary by kindness, and satisfies his own heart. You should have thought of all this before you vowed yourself to him said the familiar. "'It is too late to reflect now.' "'Perchance not,' rejoined Mistress Nutter. "'Beware!' thundered the demon, with a terrible gesture. "'Any overt act of disobedience, and your limbs shall be scattered over this chamber.' "'If I do not dare thee to do it, it is not because I fear thee,' replied Mistress Nutter, in no way dismayed by the threat. Thou canst not control my tongue. Thou speakest of the services rendered by thy lord, and I repeat they are like his promises. Nought. Show me the witch he has enriched. Of what profit is her worship of this false deity? Of what avail the sacrifices she makes at his foul altars? It is ever the same spilling of blood, ever the same working of mischief. The wheels of crime roll on like the car of the Indian idol, crushing all before them. Doth thy master ever help his servants in their need? Doth he not ever abandon them when they are no longer useful and can win him no more proselytes? Miserable servants, miserable master, look at the murderous Demdike and the malignant Chattox, and examine the means whereby they have prolonged their baleful career enormities of all kinds committed, and all their families devoted to the fiend, all wizards or witches. Look at them, I say. What profit to them in their long service? Are they rich? Are they in possession of unfading youth and beauty? Are they splendidly lodged? Have they all they desire? No. 
The one dwells in a solitary turret, and the other in a wretched hovel, and both are miserable creatures living only on the dole wrung by threats from terrified peasants, and capable of no gratification but such as results from practices of malice.' "'Is that nothing?' asked the familiar. "'To them it is everything.' They care neither for splendid mansions, nor for wealth, nor youth, nor beauty. If they did, they could have them all. They care only for the dread and mysterious power they possess, to be able to fascinate with a glance, to transfix by a gesture, to inflict strange ailments by a word, and to kill by a curse. This is the privilege they seek, and this privilege they enjoy." "'And what is the end of it all?' demanded Mistress Nutter sternly. "'Ere long they will be unable to furnish victims to their insatiate master, who will then abandon them. Their bodies will go to the hangman, and their souls to endless bail.' The familiar laughed, as if a good joke had been repeated to him, and rubbed his hands gleefully. "'Very true,' he said. "'Very true. You have stated the case exactly, madam.' such will certainly be the course of events but what of that the old hags will have enjoyed a long term much longer than might have been anticipated mother demdike however as i have intimated will extend hers and it is fortunate for her she is enabled to do so as it would otherwise expire an hour after midnight and could not be renewed thou liest cried Mistress Nutter. "'Liest like thy lord, who is the father of lies. My innocent child can never be offered up at his impious shrine. I have no fear for her. Neither he, nor Mother Demdike, nor any of the accursed sisterhood can harm her. Her goodness will cover her like armour which no evil can penetrate. Let him wreak his vengeance, if he will, on me.' Let him treat me as a slave who has cast off his yoke. Let him abridge the scanty time allotted to me, and bear me hence to his burning kingdom. But injure my child he cannot, shall not. Go to Malkin, thou at midnight, and I now will see, replied the familiar, with a mocking laugh. I will go there, but it shall be to deliver her, rejoined Mistress Nutter. "'And now get thee gone. I need thee no more.' "'Be not deceived, proud woman,' said the familiar. "'Once dismissed, I may not be recalled, whilst thou wilt be wholly unable to defend thyself against thine enemies.' "'I care not,' she rejoined. "'Be gone.' The familiar stepped back, and stamping upon the hearthstone, it sank like a trap-door, and he disappeared beneath it, a flash of lightning playing round his dusky figure. Notwithstanding her vaunted resolution, and the boldness with which she had comported herself before the familiar, Mistress Nutter now completely gave way, and for a while abandoned herself to despair. Aroused at length by the absolute necessity of action, she again walked to the window and looked forth. The storm still raged furiously without, so furiously, indeed, that it would be madness to brave it, now that she was deprived of her power, and reduced to the ordinary level of humanity. Its very violence, however, 
assured her it must soon cease, and she would then set out for Malkin Tower. But what chance had she now in a struggle with the old hag, with all the energies of hell at her command? What hope was there of being able to effect her daughter's liberation? No matter. However desperate, the attempt should be made. Meanwhile, it would be necessary to see what was going on below, and ascertain whether Blackadder had returned with Parson Holden. With this view she descended to the hall, where she found Nicholas Asherton fast asleep in a great armchair, and rocked rather than disturbed by the loud concussions of thunder. The squire was no doubt overcome by the fatigues of the day, or it may be by the potency of the wine he had swallowed, for an empty flask stood on the table beside him. Mr. Snutter did not awaken him, but proceeded to the chamber where she had left Noel and Potts prisoners, both of whom rose on her entrance. "'Be seated, gentlemen, I pray you,' she said courteously. "'I am come to see if you need anything, for when this fearful storm abates I am going forth for a short time.' "'Indeed, madam,' replied Potts, "'for myself I require nothing further, but perhaps another bottle of wine might be agreeable to my honoured and single good client.' "'Speak for yourself, sir,' cried Roger Nowell sharply. "'You shall have it,' interposed Mr. Snutter. "'I shall be glad of a word with you before I go, Master Nowell. "'I am sorry this dispute has arisen between us.' "'Huh!' exclaimed the magistrate. "'Very sorry,' pursued Mr. Snutter. "'And I wish to make every reparation in my power.' "'Reparation, madam?' cried Nowell. "'Give back the land you have stolen from me, restore the boundary lines, sign the deed in Sir Ralph's possession. That is the only reparation you can make.' "'I will,' replied Mr. Snutter. "'You will?' exclaimed Noel. "'Then the fellow did not deceive us, Master Potts.' "'Has any one been with you?' asked the lady uneasily. "'Ay, the reeve of the forest,' replied Noel. He told us you would be with us presently, and would make fair offers to us. "'And he told us also why you would make them, madam,' added Potts, in an insolent and menacing tone. "'He told us you would make a merit of doing what you could not help, that your power had gone from you, that your works of darkness would be destroyed, and that, in a word, you were abandoned by the devil your master.' "'He deceived you,' replied Mistress Nutter. I have made you the offer out of pure good will, and you can reject it or not as you please. All I stipulate, if you do accept it, is that you pledge me your word not to bring any charge of witchcraft against me. Do not give the pledge, whispered a voice in the ear of the magistrate. Did you speak? he said, turning to Potts. No, sir, replied the attorney in a low tone. "'But I thought you cautioned me against—' "'Hush!' interrupted Noel. "'It must be the reeve. "'We cannot comply with your request, madam,' he added aloud. "'Certainly not,' said Potts. "'We can make no bargain with an avowed witch. "'We should gain nothing by it. "'On the contrary, we should be losers, "'for we have the positive assurance of a gentleman "'whom we believe to be on terms of intimacy "'with a certain black gentleman of your acquaintance, madam.' that the latter has given you up entirely, and that law and justice may therefore take their course. We protest against our unlawful detention, but we give ourselves small concern about it. 
as Sir Ralph Asherton, who will be advised of our situation by Parson Holden, will speedily come to our liberation. "'Yes, we are now quite easy on that score, madam,' added Noel, "'and to-morrow we shall have the pleasure of escorting you to Lancaster Castle.' "'And your trial will come on at the next assizes, about the middle of August,' said Potts. "'You have only four months to run.' "'That is indeed my term,' muttered the lady. "'I shall not tarry to listen to your taunts,' she added aloud. "'You may possibly regret rejecting my proposal.' So saying, she quitted the room. As she returned to the hall, Nicholas awoke. "'What the devil of a storm!' he exclaimed, stretching himself and rubbing his eyes. "'Zounds! That flash of lightning were enough to blind me, and the thunder well-nigh split one's ears.' "'Yet you have slept through loud appeals, Nicholas.' said Mistress Nutter, coming up to him. "'Richard has not returned from his mission, and I must go myself to Malkin Tower. In my absence I must entrust you with the defence of my house.' "'I am willing to undertake it,' replied Nicholas, "'providing no witchcraft be used.' "'Nay, you need not fear that,' said the lady, with a forced smile. "'Well, then, leave it to me,' said the squire. "'But you will not set out till the storm is over.' "'I must,' replied Mistress Nutter. "'There seems no likelihood of its cessation, "'and each moment is fraught with peril to Alison. "'If aught happens to me, Nicholas, "'if I should, whatever mischance may befall me, "'promise me you will stand by her.' "'The squire gave the required promise. "'Enough. I hold you to your word,' said Mistress Nutter. "'Take this parchment.' It is a deed of gift, assigning this mansion and all my estates to her. Under certain circumstances you will produce it. What circumstances? I am at a loss to understand you, madam, said the squire. Do not question me further, but take especial care of the deed, and produce it, as I have said, at the fitting moment. You will know when that arrives. Ah, I am wanted. The latter exclamation had been occasioned by the appearance of an old woman at the further end of the hall, beckoning to her. On seeing her, Mistress Nutter immediately quitted the squire, and followed her into a small chamber opening from this part of the hall, and into which she retreated. "'What brings you here, Mother Chattox?' exclaimed the lady, closing the door. "'Can you not guess?' replied the hag. "'I am come to help you.' "'Not for any love, I bear you, but to avenge myself an old Demdike. "'Do not interrupt me. My familiar fancy has told me all. "'I know how you are circumstanced. "'I know Alison is in old Demdike's clutches, and you are unable to extract her. "'But I can, and will, because if the hateful old hag fails in offering up her sacrifice for the first hour of day, her turn will be out, and I shall be rid of her, and reared in her stead. Tomorrow she'll be on her way to Lancaster Castle. <laughs> the dungeon's prepared for her, the stake driven into the ground, the faggots heaped round it, the torches only to be lighted. <laughs> shall we go to Melkin Tower? asked Mistress Nutter, shuddering. "'No, to the summit of Pendle Hill,' rejoined Mother Chattox. "'But there the girl will be taken, and there only can we secure her. But first we may proceed to my hut, and make some preparations. 
I have three scalps and eight teeth taken from a grave in Goldshaw churchyard this very day. We can make a charm with them. You must prepare it alone, said Mistress Nutter. I can have naught to do with it. Oh, true, I'd forgotten, cried the hag with a chuckling laugh. You are no longer one of us. Well, then, I will do it alone. But come with me. You will not object to mount on my broomstick. It's the only safe conveyance in this storm of the devil's raising. Come, away. And she threw open the window and sprang forth, followed by Mistress Nutter. Through the murky air, and borne as if on the wings of the wind, two dark forms are flying swiftly. Over the tops of the tempest-shaken trees they go and as they gain the skirts of the thicket, an oak beneath is shivered by a thunderbolt. They hear the fearful crash, and see the splinters fly far and wide, and the foremost of the two, who, with her skinny arm extended, seems to direct their course, utters a wild scream of laughter, while a raven, speeding on broad black wings below them, croaks hoarsely. Now the torrent rages below, and they see its white waters tumbling over a ledge of rock. Now they pass over the brow of a hill, now skim over a dreary waste and dangerous morass. Fearful it is to behold these two flying figures, as the lightning shows them bestriding their fantastical steed. The one an old hag with hideous lineaments and distorted person, and the other a proud dame, still beautiful, though no longer young, pale as death, and her loose jetty hair streaming like a meteor in the breeze. The ride is over, and they alight near the door of a solitary hovel. The raven has preceded them, and perched on the chimney-top, flies down it as they enter, and greets them with hoarse croaking. The inside of the hut corresponds with its miserable exterior, consisting only of two rooms, in one of which is a wretched pallet, in the other are a couple of large chests, a crazy table, a bench, a three-legged stool, and a spinning-wheel. A cauldron is suspended above a peat fire, smouldering on the hearth. There is only one window, and a thick curtain is drawn across it, to secure the inmate of the hut from prying eyes. Mother Chattox closes and bars the door, and motioning Mistress Nutter to seat herself upon the stool, kneels down near the hearth and blows the turf into a flame, the raven helping her by flapping his big black wings, and uttering a variety of strange sounds, as the sparks fly about. Heaping on more turf, and shifting the cauldron so that it may receive the full influence of the flame, the hag proceeds to one of the chests, and takes out sundry small matters, which she places, one by one, with great care upon the table. The raven has now fixed his great talons on her shoulder, and chuckles and croaks in her ear as she pursues her occupation. Suddenly a piece of bone attracts his attention, and darting out his beak he seizes it and hops away. "'Give me that skulk, that mischievous imp!' cries the hag. "'I need it for the charm I am about to prepare. Give it to me, I say!' But the raven still held it fast, and hopped here and there so nimbly that she was unable to catch him. At length, when he had exhausted her patience, he alighted on Mistress Nutter's shoulder, and dropped it into her lap. Engrossed by her own painful thoughts, the lady had paid no attention to what was passing, 
and she shuddered as she took up the fragment of mortality and placed it upon the table. A few tufts of hair, the texture of which showed that they had belonged to a female, still adhered to the scalp. Mistress Nutter regarded it fixedly, and with an interest for which she could not account. After sharply chiding the raven, Mother Chattox put forward her hand to grasp the prize she had been robbed of, when Mistress Nutter checked her by observing, "'You said you got this scalp from Goldshaw Churchyard. Know you aught concerning it?' "'Aye, a good deal,' replied the old woman, chuckling. "'It comes from a grave near the yew-tree, and not far from Abbot Glitterhouse Cross. Old Zachariah Worms, the sexton, digged it up for me. That yellow skull—' had once a fair face attached to it, and those few dull tufts were once bright flowing tresses. She who owned them died young, but young as she was she survived all her beauty, hollow cheeks and hollow eyes, wasted flesh and cruel cough hers, and she pined and pined away. Folks said she was folk-spoken, and that I had done it. Ah, forsooth, she'd never done me harm. "'You know whether I was rightly accused, madam?' "'Take it away!' cried Mistress Nutter hurriedly, and as if struggling against some overmastering feeling. "'I cannot bear to look at it. I wanted not this horrible reminder of my crimes.' "'This was the reason, then, why Ralph stole a scalp from me,' muttered the hag, as she threw it, together with some other matters, into the cauldron. "'He wanted to show you his sagacity. I might have guessed as much.' "'I will go into the other room while you make your preparations,' said Mistress Nutter, rising. "'The sight of them disturbs me. You can summon me when you are ready.' "'Ah, well, madam,' replied the old hag, "'and you must control your impatience, for the spell requires time for its confection.' Mistress Nutter made no reply but walking into the inner room, closed the door and threw herself upon the pallet. Here, despite her anxiety, sleep stole upon her, and though her dreams were troubled, she did not awake till Mother Chattox stood beside her. "'Have I slept long?' she inquired. "'More than three hours,' replied the hag. Three hours!' exclaimed Mistress Nutter. "'Why did you not wake me before? You would have saved me from terrible dreams!' "'We are not too late.' "'No, no,' replied Mother Chattox. "'There's plenty of time. Come in the other room. All is ready.' As Mistress Nutter followed the old hag into the adjoining room, a strong odour arising from a chafing-dish, in which herbs, roots, and other ingredients were burning, assailed her. And, versed in all weird ceremonials, she knew that a powerful suffumigation had been made though with what intent she had yet to learn. The scanty furniture had been cleared away, and a circle was described in the clay floor by skulls and bones, alternated by dried toads, adders, and other reptiles. In the midst of this magical circle the cauldron, which had been brought from the chimney, was placed, and the lid being removed, a thick vapour arose from it. Mistress Nutter looked around for the raven, but the bird was nowhere to be seen, nor did any other living thing appear to be present beside themselves. Taking the lady's hand, Mother Chattox drew her into the circle, and began to mutter a spell, after which, still maintaining her hold of her companion, 
she bade her look into the cauldron and declare what she saw. "'I see nothing,' replied the lady, after she had gazed upon the bubbling waters for a few moments. "'Ah, yes, I discern certain figures, but they are confused by the steam and broken by the agitation of the water.' "'Cauldron cease boiling, and smoke disperse,' cried Mother Chattox, stamping her foot. "'Now, can you see more plainly?' "'I can,' replied Mistress Nutter. "'I behold the subterranean chamber beneath Malkin Tower, with its nine ponderous columns, its altar in the midst of them, its demon image, and the well with waters black as Lethe beside it.' "'The water within the cauldron came from that well,' said Mother Chattox, with a chuckling laugh. "'My familiar risked his liberty to bring it.' But it succeeded. <laughs> my precious fancy, thou art the best of servants, and shall have my best blood to reward thee to mother. Thou shalt, my sweetheart, my joke, my dandy prat. But hie thee back to Malkin Tower, and contrive that this lady may hear, as well as see, all that passes. Away! Mistress Nutter concluded that the injunction would be obeyed. But as the familiar was invisible to her, she could not detect his departure. "'Do you see no one within the dungeon?' inquired Mother Chattox. "'Ah, yes!' exclaimed the lady. "'I have at last discovered Alison. She was behind one of the pillars. A little girl is with her. It is Janet Device, and from the spiteful looks of the latter I judge she is mocking her. Oh, what malice lurks in the breast of that hateful child! She is a true descendant of Mother Demdike. But Alison, sweet, patient Alison, she seems to bear all her taunts with a meekness and resignation enough to move the hardest heart. I would weep for her if I could. And now Janet shakes her hand at her and leaves her. She is alone. What will she do now? Has she no thoughts of escape? Ah, yes, she looks about her distractedly, runs round the bolt, tries the door of every cell. They are all bolted and barred. There is no outlet, none. What next? inquired the hag. She shrieks aloud, rejoined Mistress Nutter, and the cry thrills through every fibre in my frame. She calls upon me for aid, upon me, her mother, and little thinks I hear her, and am unable to help her. Oh, it is horrible! Take me to her, good Chattox, take me to her, I implore you. Impossible, replied the hag. It must await the fitting time. If you cannot control yourself, I shall remove the cauldron. Oh, no, no, cried the distracted lady. I, I will be calm. "'Ah! what is this I see?' she added, belying her former words by sudden vehemence, while rage and astonishment were depicted upon her countenance. "'This is monstrous, intolerable! Oh, that I could undeceive her, could warn her of the snare!' Uh, "'What is the nature of the delusion?' asked Mother Chattox, with some curiosity. "'I am so blind I cannot see the figures on the water.' "'It is an evil spirit in my likeness,' replied Mistress Nutter. "'In your likeness!' exclaimed the hag. "'A cunning device, and worthy of old Demdike. <laughs> "'I can scarce bear to look on,' 
cried Mistress Nutter. "'But I must, though it tears my heart in pieces to witness such cruelty. The poor girl has rushed to her false parent, has thrown her arms around her, and is weeping on her shoulder. Oh, it is a maddening sight, but it is nothing to what follows.' the temptress with the subtlety of the old serpent is pouring lies into her ear telling her they both are captives and both will perish unless she consents to purchase their deliverance at the price of her soul and she offers her a bond to sign such a bond as alas thou and i chattox have signed but alison rejects it with horror and gazes at her false mother as if she suspected the delusion but the temptress is not to be beaten thus. She renews her entreaties, casts herself on the ground, and clasps my child's knees in humblest supplication. Oh, that Alison would place her foot upon her neck and crush her! But it is not so the good act. She raises her and tells her she would willingly die for her, but her soul was given to her by her Creator and must be returned to him. Oh, that I had thought of this! And what answer makes a spirit? asked the witch. It laughs derisively, replied Mistress Nutter, and proceeds to use all those sophistical arguments which we have so often heard to pervert her mind and overthrow her principles. But Alison is proof against them all. Religion and virtue support her, and make her more than a match for her opponent. Equally vain are the spirit's attempts to seduce her by the offer of a life of sinful enjoyment. She rejects it with angry scorn. Failing in argument and entreaty, the spirit now endeavours to work upon her fears, and paints in appalling colours the tortures she will have to endure, contrasting them with the delight she is voluntarily abandoning, with the lover she might espouse, with the high worldly position she might fill. "'What are worldly joys and honours compared with those of heaven?' exclaims Alison. "'I would not exchange them. The spirit, then, in a vision, shows her her lover, Richard, and asks her if she can resist his entreaties. The trial is very sore as she gazes on that beloved form, seeing by its passionate gestures to implore her to ascend. But she is firm.' and the vision disappears. The ordeal is now over. Alison has triumphed over all their arts. The spirit in my likeness resumes its fiendish shape, and with a dreadful menace against the poor girl, vanishes from her sight. "'Another Demdak's not done with her yet,' observed Chattox. "'You are right.' replied Mistress Nutter. The old hag descends the staircase leading to the vault, and approaches the miserable captive. With her there are no supplications, no arguments, but commands and terrible threats. She is as unsuccessful as her envoy. Alison has gained courage and defies her. <laughs> Does she so? exclaimed Mother Chattox. I am glad of it. "'The solid floor resounds with the stamping of the enraged witch,' pursued Mistress Nutter. "'She tells Alison she will take her to Pendle Hill at midnight, and there offer her up as a sacrifice to the fiend. "'My child replies that she trusts for her deliverance to heaven, 
that her body may be destroyed, but that her soul cannot be harmed. Scarcely are the words uttered than a terrible clangour is heard. The walls of the dungeon seem breaking down, and the ponderous columns reel. The demon statue rises on its throne, and a stream of flame issues from its brow. The doors of the cells burst open, and with clanking of chains and other dismal noises, skeleton shapes stalk forth from them, each with a pale blue light above its head. Monstrous beasts like tiger-cats, with rough black skins and flaming eyes, are moving about, and looking as though they would spring upon the captive. Two gravestones are now pushed aside, and from the cold earth arise the forms of Blackburn the robber, and his paramour, the dissolute Isolde Heaton. She joins the grisly throng now approaching the distracted girl who falls insensible to the ground. "'Can you, can you say aught more?' asked the hag, as Mistress Nutter still bent eagerly over the cauldron. "'No, the whole chamber is buried in darkness,' replied the lady. "'I can see nothing of my poor child.' "'What will become of her?' "'I will question fancy,' replied the hag, throwing some fresh ingredients into the chafing-dish. And as the smoke arose, she vociferated, "'Come me the fancy. I want thee, my fondling, my sweet. Come quickly. Ah, thou art here.' The familiar was still invisible to Mistress Nutter, but a slight sound made her aware of his presence. "'And now, my sweet fancy,' pursued the hag. "'Tell us, if thou canst, what will be done with Alison, and what course we must pursue to free her from old Demdike?' "'At present she is in a state of insensibility,' replied a harsh voice, "'and she will be kept in that condition till she is conveyed to the summit of Pendle Hill. I have already told you it is useless to attempt to take her from Malkin Tower. It is too well guarded.' "'Your only chance will be to interrupt the sacrifice.' "'But ah, oh, my sweet fancy, ah, oh, my little darling,' inquired the hag. "'It is a perplexing question,' replied the voice, "'for by showing you how to obtain possession of the girl, I disobey my lord.' "'Ah, but you serve me, you please me, my pretty fancy,' cried the hag. "'You shall quaff your fill of blood on the morrow if you do this for me. "'I want to get rid of my old enemy, to catch her in her own toils, "'to send her to a dungeon, to burn her. <laughs> "'You must help me, my little sweetheart.' "'I will do all I can,' replied the voice. "'But Mother Demdike is cunning and powerful and high in favour with my lord.' You must have mortal aid as well as mine. The officers of justice must be there to seize her at the moment when the victim is snatched from her, or she will baffle all your schemes. And how shall we accomplish this? asked Mother Chattox. I will tell you, said Mistress Nutter to the hag. Let him put on the form of Richard Asherton, and did that guise hasten to Rough Lee, where he will find the young man's cousin Nicholas, to whom he must make known the dreadful deed about to be enacted on Pendle Hill. 
Nicholas will at once engage to interrupt it. He can arm himself with the weapons of justice by taking with him Roger Nowell, the magistrate, and his myrmidon Potts, the attorney, both of whom are detained prisoners in the house by my orders. The scheme promises well, and shall be adopted, replied the hag, but suppose Richard himself should appear first on the scene. Dost know where he is, my sweet fancy? When I last saw him, replied the voice, he was lying senseless on the ground at the foot of Malkin Tower, having been precipitated from the doorway by Mother Demdike. You need apprehend no interference from him. It is well, replied Mother Chattox. Then take his form, my pet, though it is not half as handsome as thy own. A black skin and goat-like limbs are to thy taste, I know, replied the familiar with a laugh. Let me look upon him before he goes, that I may be sure the likeness is exact, said Mistress Nutter. Thy heiress fancy become visible to her, cried the hag. And as she spoke, a figure in all respects resembling Richard stood before them. Well, what think you of him? Will he do? said Mother Chattox. Ay, replied the lady, and now send him off at once. There is no time to lose. I shall be there in the twinkling of an eye, said the familiar, but I own I like not the task. There is no help for it, my sweet fancy, cried the hag. I cannot forgo my triumph over old Demdike. Now, away with thee, and when thou hast executed thy mission, return and tell us how thou hast sped in the matter. The familiar promised obedience to her commands, and disappeared. End of chapter 13